0: The Chris Shearn Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hello everyone, and welcome to the Chris Shearn Show on YesNetwork.com and the iTunes. I would say this is a bonus one, but uh this is our one for this the week. This is the win for yeah. the week, yes. Um so uh, Lou will not be with us later in the week. Uh, so we're doing it now. And and I kind of guess we we strike while the iron is hot.
1: (laughs) Uh, We had planned to,
0: yes. Yeah. um, There are two stories that are very prevalent right now in the world of sports. One is very local. uh, One is very national. Uh, We'll start with the local one, and and that would be Matt Harvey. And the latest uh, – I've read so many baseball columnists' opinions on this, from Jeff uh, Passan to uh, uh, Joel Sherman – uh, to David Waldstein, uh, all these guys chiming in and Kevin Burkhart. And, you know, he threw out there that, you know, talking about Matt Harvey, he hasn't gotten that payday yet. And it's about getting to that payday and, and saving his arm. Now I wrote a blog to it, Chris Sheeran.com. You can go read it if you want. Uh, it was kind of in line with that kind of, uh, Thinking that Kevin Burkhart threw out there. And he's not the only one. There are there other people that, that said it as well. And I, and I kind of agree with that. you know. And A couple of people uh, want to compare this Harvey situation to CeCe Sabathia. And to me, you can't. CeCe has made his money. Yeah. CeCe has made a ton of money in Major League Baseball. Bobby Bonilla is still making more money than Matt Harvey. Okay? So that's the one area... And the Mets are still paying the guy a million dollars every July 3rd, right?
1: July yeah. 3rd, July, July 4th. July 3rd, July 4th for the next 15 like years. Yes,
0: But anyway, best retirement plan ever. Happy, happy Independence Day. But Harvey's in the $600,000 range. That's what he's making. He hasn't gotten that big contract yet. He hasn't gotten the big deal yet. And if he goes out there and blows out his elbow again. He's not going to make that big he's money. He's not going to make that big money. So I understand from Matt Harvey's point of view. The thing that pisses me off, can I say that? I think so. The thing that pisses me off, I just said it again, is that Scott Boris is running his mouth. Matt Harvey, you work for Matt Harvey. Matt Harvey doesn't work for you. Boris should keep his mouth shut because his pitcher... At least publicly, yes. Yes. He shouldn't be going on uh, radio shows. He shouldn't be sitting there and especially... Not mentioning money. Don't you sit there and talk to all these people in the paper. It was uh, John Heyman, CBS Sports. Great at what he does. Broke this and got the ball rolling with Met fans having heart attacks everywhere. Including Jim Brewer, who was great (laughs) with his video blog on Facebook. As he has been all season long. Uh, If you haven't gotten into that, check it out. It's hysterical. But Boris needs to shut up publicly. His pitcher bitch moaned and complained when the Mets wanted to go to a six-man rotation. His pitcher bitch moaned and complained when the Mets didn't let him pitch last year. Now all of a sudden he wants to shut it down after 180 innings. Now this has been a true flip-flop politician type thing going on with Harvey. Because now he says he's going to pitch in the postseason. So all of this crap
1: and went to the players' tribune to say so.
0: Yes. Derek Jeter's new thing. Mm-hmm. He writes on there, whatever. Good for him. Good for you. Anyway, all of this stuff could have just been avoided. And he calls himself, you know, he goes under that nickname, the Dark Knight. You know, he he puts himself out there as a competitor. And for someone to And I'm going to let you go really soon. (laughs) It's fine. But as someone who puts himself out there as this big-time competitor, you would think that Matt Harvey, much like Charlton Heston, had to have his gun removed from his cold, dead hands. You would think Matt Harvey would have to have somebody pry the baseball from his right hand before he couldn't pitch anymore. But in the past week and a half, That's not the sentiment you would get from Matt Harvey or his agent. Nope. But the Mets and Sandy Alderson, listen, this is why this can't happen. And I'm going to let Lou let loose on this. You cannot have an agent set a precedent where he doesn't call. He sends an email to a general manager telling him we're shutting it down after 180. That can't happen. No. No. It's not his call. It's not his call. And one more thing before I let Lou go. Where – where? look, I respect the hell out of these doctors that do this surgery. It it saves careers. Uh, Don't get me wrong. I respect the hell out of anybody who does this. Dr. James Andrews, how many careers has he saved and revived and resurrected in Major League Baseball? You can't even count. Okay? But where in the hell do these doctors – Come up with 180 innings. Every elbow is different. responding to that surgery and before that surgery is different. It's different. This, the, I almost cursed. The man who had the surgery named after himself, Tommy John. Yes, boys and girls. It's not just the name of a surgery. He was a left-handed pitcher that got this surgery done. And it was named after him because he came back. You know what he did the first year? He went 10-10. and But he threw 207 innings. That was in 1976. In 1979, Tommy John threw 276 innings.
1: Which is a number that I don't think anyone in the last 10 years counting the playoffs has come close to.
0: Anywhere near it. Outside
1: of maybe Cole Hamels in 2008 when he was... Pitching seven innings every start.
0: And this is three years after the damn surgery was
1: invented for crying out loud. Okay, the
0: floor is yours. My filibuster is over.
1: Um, You said Matt Harvey is the Dark Knight. He's making himself look like another four-letter word that begins with D and ends with K that we can't say on the podcast. (laughs) And also making himself look like the matching apparatus of that other word. Yeah. Here, three people are culpable in this situation. Not just one, not just two. Three people are culpable in this situation. Number one is Scott Boris. Bingo. Scott Boris is culpable in this situation because while you can understand his interest in this, he wants to get his player, and Scott Boris is known as a shark. I mean, this is not like coming out of nowhere. This isn't like, oh, Scott, what are you doing?
0: Didn't Alex Rodriguez fire that guy? Yeah,
1: so did Rafael Soriano when he didn't get a contract this year. And look what happened. He signs with a new Agency and he gets a contract a week later. Shocker, I know. This is this is not anything new for Scott Boris. And obviously, the more money Matt Harvey makes, the, the more money, money Scott, Scott Boris makes. makes. It's the way the world works. It's capitalism. Go figure. The way he went about it, as you mentioned, completely wrong. It's I not don't about need the to say. money, Lou. Yeah, it's, it's not, not. It's not about. It's always about the money. I don't have to go into any more detail than you did. Culpable person number two, as you mentioned, is Matt Harvey. First of all, Matt grow a set and grow up, and talk for yourself like a man. Don't hide behind your agent. Stop being a baby. Number two, stick to your guns. Stop being a flip-flopper. This is New York. Your ass is going to get run out of town faster than you can say, Matt Harvey, if you continue to act this way.
0: Yeah, and try to go to a Ranger game again on a Mets game night. See see how that happens.
1: Person number three that's culpable in all of this, unfortunately, even though his hands have been tied, and this is not his issue to start, end, or anywhere in the middle, is Sandy Alderson. Because Sandy Elderson could just come right out and say, "Listen, Matt Harvey works for me."
0: He could have took the bull
1: by he the horns. He could have taken the bull by the horns. Matt Harvey works for me. You know, he's saying this. Well, you know what? That's that's our decision, not his. And if he shuts it down, he makes himself look bad. If Boris makes him shut it down, they both look bad. Sandy Elderson could have come out of this looking victimized, for lack of a better right. word, but not. Not culpable. He needs in the situation. Yeah, he needs to do
0: exactly what you just said. But Harvey, the, the first two people that Harvey needs to respect and tell what's going on, to me, this is just me. But first and foremost, it's his manager. Yep. Ter- the, I was gonna say Terry and Sandy. Out of the loop here is Terry Collins, who thinks he has a guy for the rest of the season in the postseason, and then September 3rd or whenever this broke, when the Mets had a six-game lead over the Nationals and everything was rainbows and sunshine with this organization. Joanna uh, Cespedes, by the way, since the trade 3-11... I think he has eight doubles, three triples. Yeah, dude's, dude's a monster. 15 homers, something like that. He's batting four sixty-four so far in September. He's a beast. Okay? They did what they needed to do. They went out and got Cespedes. Everything was coming up roses. And then all of a sudden, this is what happens. Now, all of you out there who are getting on Mets fans, and I tweeted this the other day. It's like the Ghostbusters 2 mayor. He was also the mayor in the first Ghostbusters. Lenny. Mm-hmm. You know Lenny. But when the mood slime was causing a problem, the Ghostbusters went to Lenny and said, Hey, we need everybody to, you know, to act nice because this mood slime is, is causing everybody to flip out. And he basically looked at them and said, You want me to go on TV and tell New Yorkers they have to act nice to each other? It's every New Yorker's God-given right. To be miserable. And you know what? It's every Mets fan's God-given right to be miserable. No matter what their lead is in September. No matter where they are in the standings. This team has been snake-bitten. This franchise has been snake-bitten. You want to talk about Madoff? You want to talk about the collapse in 2007? You want to talk about Carlos Beltran looking at strike three in 2006 in the NLCS against the Cardinals? They lost to the Yankees in the 2000 Subway Series? They haven't won a World Series since 1986. 1986? It's almost 30 years ago. To me, it feels like yesterday I was 13. I remember it very well.
1: And you look at the number, what, like 17 teams have been to the World Series since the Mets? I just,
0: yeah. (laughs) It was 15 years ago. I don't like, and I heard a lot of it, I don't like when hosts will get on Met fans. And I know it's fun to do. I know it's fun to poke the bear. But you shouldn't do it. These people have every right to be negative Nellies, miserable, and they should know as well as anyone besides maybe Cub fans. They have it a hell of a lot worse. Mm -hmm. But, hey.
1: Pre-2004 Red Sox fans also in that category. Yes,
0: and they're in it. Cubs are in it this year. Red Sox, not so much. But don't sit there and tell Mets fans – how to act or react. Mm-hmm. They have every right to be as miserable as they want to be.
1: Now, here's, here's two other issues that come out of this, possibly in the, you know, going forward. You look at like Steven, the whole Steven Strasburg situation. They shut him down innings limit. He gets hurt the next year anyway, blah, blah, blah. Scott Baker was with the Yankees in spring training mm-hmm. and talked to Chad Jennings and a couple other reporters. You know, Chad did a story on it. how it, it, was, it was basically vis-a-vis Tanaka with his arm situation. Right. Scott Baker pitched with a partially torn UCL for like a decade, okay, before it fully blew out and he had to go have Tommy John. Now, yes, Scott Baker probably never had the talent Matt Harvey does and and never was the pitcher Matt Harvey's capable of being. We know this. No offense to Scott Baker, but you can look at his career numbers and the numbers don't lie. He would probably say the same thing. Point is, it took him 10 years to go from a splinter to a tear. Right. Matt Harvey's already had the surgery. He could... Matt Harvey could blow out his shoulder tomorrow. You never know. Chin Ming Wong could blow out his foot running the bases and never be the same if this were two thousand, And he did. Right? So things happen. Um, you, the 180 innings thing, like you said, the doctors come up with them It's completely randomly arbitrary, but whatever. Point being this. Two things could come out of this. You look at what Mike Trout and the Angels, their situation. Trout came out his first two years, was a world beater. Gets to the, his last year of pre-arbitration where he's making, you know, peanuts, and the Angels say, "Look, we know you're a future superstar. We want to lock you up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we we want you to feel appreciated." They sign him to this MAGA deal that buys out his arbitration and all that makes a lot of money. Matt Harvey, at the end of this year, is going to have three more than three years of service time. That means, in baseball terms, arbitration. I can't wait to see the the poop show this is going to be because. He's going to request some ridiculously ungodly like $15 million amount. The Mets are going to lowball him, and it's going to be up to the arbitrator to figure it out. And Matt Harvey now, as much as he didn't before, doesn't exactly look like the model citizen. No. I mean, is he going to get his money and shut it down? Like You have no idea.
0: He has every Mm -hmm. right to be concerned with his elbow. Absolutely. It, it, it's, it's his career. It's his future. It's his... It's his, it's his meal ticket. Yeah,
1: exactly. But, on but the at the same hand, time, he mm-hmm. didn't handle it the right way. He's right. got to understand that. And at the same time, you know, he's not, he's not a Cy Young candidate. He's a very good pitcher. He has unlimited potential and upside. But he's not what Mike Trout was after his two years. Like, he's just not there yet.
0: Can you do me a favor? Can you look up uh, on your phone? Because I forgot to look this up when I was downstairs before sure. we came up here. Just see what... And I'll keep talking as you look for it. But see what CC's contracts were. Um, I, I think he came up with the Indians in 2001. 2001? 2001. Okay. So see what his contract was in 2008. I, I believe that's when they... Traded him to the Brewers, where he was pitching every third day and going nuts.
1: That was the yeah. That was the end of his uh, the end of his last contract. Yeah, and see, and this is why
0: I think it's not fair, right? Because he signed with the Yankees in two thousand nine. Right. But this is why I think he, it's not fair to compare these two. And you know, I respect the hell out of Joel Sherman, who writes for the New York Post. Uh, he, he's also a contributor here uh, on uh, hot, used, stove. Used hot Stove. Used to stuff. do Hot Stove, and now he's on MLB Network. He's one of their uh, you know, John Heyman and, mm-hmm. and Joel Sherman and Ken Rosenthal, they all do a tremendous job. But in Joel's article today in the Post, you know, he brought up CC Sabathia. I just don't think it's a fair comparison to bring up Sabathia when you're trying to talk about Harvey. Harvey makes $650,000. He's never had a seventh digit in his contract history. Right. And what was CC making uh, that, con- that last contract before he signed with the Yankees?
1: According to Cotts baseball contracts, right. a clearinghouse named after Cotton Tierney, the NL's fourth leading batter in 18 whatever. Thank you for that. CC Sabathia in 2008 was making nine million dollars. It there was you the go. it was the second year of a two year 17.5 million extension he signed with Cleveland in 2005. There you go. I, case closed, right the, there. The Indians, according to this, and this sounds about right to me. The Indians had a 2006 option on him because they signed him. They locked him up. Through his arbitration years, mm-hmm. you know, like we'll, we'll give you the modest raise because he right. pitched so well in o one o two. Mm-hmm. Uh, they picked up his two thousand six option for seven million dollars, paid him eight point seven five and o seven nine and o eight. Had up to seven point seven five million in award and performance bonuses in those contracts based on Cy Young finishes and yada yada yada. Um, Everything you just said—that was it. Matt so, Harvey has never had a point. Nope.
0: When he's talking about a contract. C.C.
1: Sabathia. And that's my <clears throat> point. C.C. Sabathia made, uh, in 2003, which was his third full year, which is wh- basically where Matt Harvey is, uh, $850,000. Okay. And that was because the team had signed him to a contract to lock him up through his ARB years. Mm-hmm. Or most of his that's ARB years. That's not shocking. Right. I mean, it was C.C. Sabathia. You can go back in the numbers speak for themselves. Yes. Here's, here's the issue I was going to say, and now, obviously, this year he's making $25 million, and next year and the year beyond. Yes. Because <laughs> he's earned that. Right. He's, he's been a horse. He pitched 250-something innings, counting the playoffs. 2009? In 2008. Oh, 2008. The year, the year he pitched every three days. Okay, yeah, walking. right. And, was, and had to hit for himself. And he got them into the playoffs. Right. Right. Here's the other thing, is that, you know, if this were... If this were the Yankees, for lack of a better team, mm-hmm. who have little to no starting pitching in the minors, Severino pretty much the it right now. Right. It might be a different story. If this was the Royals, who have you know a, a rented, rented ace in Cueto and Ventura is like their one guy and they don't really have a lot. If this were a team that was bereft of young starting pitching, it might be different. This is a team that has Jacob Degrom, who came out of nowhere to win the Rookie of the Year award last year and is just as good this year. You have Noah Syndergaard, who's next in that line. You have Steven Matz, who's next in that line. You've got Rafael Montero, who's been hurt all year but was considered a, a pretty good prospect. Not to mention they have Jonathan Neese, despite the fact that he's pretty worthless, as yesterday proved. Twelve ERA con- over his last under two contract. Games, yeah. you know this, that, the other. It's not like the Mets are hurting for options. So if you're Sandy Alderson this winter. With everything that's going on, maybe you just say, "You know what? This isn't worth a headache." What can we get for it? shop them around? What, are, what send to everybody? You know, like like they did. Um, send an email blast. Like I forget which team it was, but like, send me your best offers for this yeah. player by Friday. Yeah, Cole Hamills. Yeah, you know, send me your best offer for Matt Harvey, and whoever has the best offer gets him. And that you know what? Have fun with his three arbitration years. Good luck. Get him out. Yeah. Goodbye. It, because that might be it. You know what? Again, like I said, if no take Harvey completely out of the equation next year. Mm-hmm. You have Jacob de who's now got we'll say two full years of of pitching under his belt because he came up in May last year. It's not like, you know, so did so did Chris Bryant and Evan Longoria, the year one rookie of the year. It's it's early enough in the season. You have Sindergaard, who's had pretty much a full year this year. He came up, you know, whenever it was, May. Like, you know, he's, he's on the DeGrom track. You have Mats, who's been on the Wheeler-Harvey track before he got hurt. That was kind of his desire. You have Zach Wheeler coming back from Tommy Johnson. Forgot right? about him, yeah. You have Jonathan Neese nice under contract, which, you know what, if he's your fifth starter, it, it is what it is. Do you think Wheeler's going to be defined in the amount of innings he could pitch? <laughs> <laughs> you never know. But if you take DeGrom, you yeah. take Cindergard, you take Neese nice, because he's your fifth starter. Uh-huh. You have... A Matt's Wheeler combo as your four so that you can kind of limit Matt's innings, but also kind of limit Wheeler's innings. Mm-hmm. What do the Mets do? They can sign Matt Harvey to some ridiculously exorbitant arbitration salary. They're not going to sign him to a, they're not going to lock him up for a long term no. deal. Because now at this point, it's cat and mouse, and they're the cat. Right. And they're just going to keep right. batting at him because right. it's fun. They could sign him to some ridiculously exorbitant one year contract. You know, maybe he blows out his arm. Maybe he wins 25 games. Who knows? They could trade him and try to get something because some team will value him and say, hey, Matt Harvey, blah, 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 blah. You know, the, the Royals valued Johnny Cueto for the stretch run in a division they were already dominating enough to trade three pretty good, almost major league ready, two major league ready prospects for him. Teams value things differently. Or they could just say, you know what, cut bait, we'll go sign... I don't know who might be, you know, a Hiroki Kuroda type, kind of one of those veteran one year pitchers. You know, Chris Capuano this year for the Yankees, something a little better than Capuano, hopefully. But <laughs> no offense to Chris, he just his numbers aren't great, right? But like somebody in that vein, that's a, a you know, later in the career, a Dan Haren type, or you know, Brandon McCarthy before he had that monster half with New York and earned that huge contract from LA, or you know, someone in that second tier veteran starter one- or two-year deal, kind of like how they got Bartolo Colon last Mm -hmm. year. They can sign somebody for $10, $12 million for one or two years like that to fill in until Montero's healthy again or Matt's is fully up to speed or Wheeler's fully back and just completely rid themselves of the headache that is Matt Harvey. And you know what? His career will go down as guy could have been so great but got in his own way. Yeah. And, you know, look, I wrote about
0: it and – Listen, if you think that there are going to be Willis-Reed-type situations in sports moving forward, no. you're out of your mind. These guys are, are not like that anymore. Uh, it's not about winning championships. It's about money, brands yep. and how much money you make. Let's be honest. You know, And if a player tries to tell you it's about winning titles... I'm sorry. Maybe – I don't want to say all. I don't want to group everyone in. I don't want to paint a broad brush stroke across every athlete out there. Uh, There's guys like LeBron James who make a lot of money. But to him, it is about the chance. I mean, he wants to win.
1: Mm -hmm. That's why he left
0: for Miami. And he almost willed that Cavalier team to beat the Warriors. Twice. He's
1: almost willed a Cavaliers team that was lacking a lot of firepower to the finals.
0: Right. Uh, So guys like him, guys like Jordan – you know, he made a lot of money too, but that guy wanted to win and you saw that on the floor. He did not want
1: to lose. Guys like Peyton Manning, who've restructured yeah. his contract so that Denver could sign players to right. put around him. Right. There's there's two other things that are under That's why I
0: didn't want to paint that broad
1: brush stroke. But for the most part, Lou, let's be honest. It's about money. There there's two other underlying issues that are that are with this whole scenario as well. That's what's turning off a lot of people of sports, too. Right. One of which is that with the way the game baseball has become so specialized, I think innings limits are stupid because as I said to somebody yesterday when I was talking about this at, at a barbecue, you can throw 180 innings, and if they're all ten pitch one, two, three innings, great. There's a big difference between like, you know, Let's say the game, uh, the game Pineda threw on Mother's Day. Okay. 16Ks, eight uh-huh. innings, just uh-huh. dominant. There's a big difference between that and the 100-pitch outing that Nathan Avaldi had a couple weeks ago where he got into the fourth and was 3-2 on every batter and walked five guys. The Braves game? I, was it the Braves game? I think it yeah. was. Yeah. Yes, it was. And just, you know what, he barely gutted through six innings. There's a big difference, high stress, low stress, high leverage. Look at Dellin Betances. Dellin yeah. Betances has only thrown whatever innings, but how many of those innings have been high leverage? Almost mm-hmm. all of them. Yeah. Okay? There's a big difference he in that. He pulled a David Robertson right. yesterday. He too. did. A, a full no-contact inning. So, so there's that, there's that uh. issue. It's, the specialization is causing that Like pitchers don't go as far, they don't push themselves, this, that, right. like, the other, whatever. The other underlying issue that, that you're going to look into, and with the collective bargaining agreement coming up, you know here very soon i think after next year is kind of an issue is that and this is going to sound really awful the way i say this but i'm going to i'm going to explain it afterwards early early in your baseball career is almost like a form of indentured servitude to a degree because teams have the right and i'd, I'd sign for it and in talking <laughs> in talking about this situation like just in terms of how it works with people i've used jose perella as an example now, Jose Perel again not going to be in the Hall of Fame anytime soon, but you know could be a serviceable major league player. Has been for the Yankees. And Chen learn how to bunt, right. by the way. That too. Matt Harvey is in his fourth year of professional as a major leaguer. Counting that he was on the sixty-day deal last year, he came up in two thousand, you know, two thousand twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. He's making six hundred thousand dollars. He has three years where the Mets can pretty much say, "We'll offer you this." You know, you get, you can. Sign for, I want this, we'll give you this, whatever. It's seven years into his career before he has the freedom right. to say, this is how much I want to sign for. So that's why guys like Max Scherzer get $200 million when they mm-hmm. can. That's why the Yankees re-signed CC Sabathia mm-hmm. when he's like, I'm going to opt out because I know you'll give me more money. Right. That's why Alex Rodriguez opted out of and his Harvey deal cannot, in 2009. And Harvey
0: cannot do that. Right.
1: right. Because you know, he knew he had the chance to get more money. That's understandable the way these contracts work Mm -hmm. in baseball. That's why Chris Capuano kept going to AAA. He's like, you know what? They're going to pay me $5 million to ride the shuttle back and forth to Scranton. I'm not going to be like, ah, I'll go take my chances elsewhere. Hell with it. I'll take the money at this point. Mm -hmm. Why not? The example I used was Jose – I said I used was Jose Perella. See if you follow me here on this. All right. Perella signs as an international free agent in like 2007 Mm -hmm. whatever. He's 18 years old. He spends eight years in the minors to the point – Right where he's about to become a minor league free agent. He was about to become a minor league free agent last year, after last season. The Yankees put him on the 40-man roster, bring him up. He has, now he has three options because he's on the 40-man roster. So he has three years where the Yankees can option him back and forth. And it takes 20 days in the minors to burn an option. So, like, if you get sent down for a week and then called right back up and that's it, nope, you no still got option, that option. option, right. This year he spent obviously more than 20 days in the in the minors so he's got 2 left. Mm-hmm. Okay. Based on his service time, you have to have 3 full years of service time to get to where you're arbitration eligible. Before that, you're pre-arb. Teams can renew your contract. You make peanuts, 5-600,000 mm-hmm. mm-hmm. league minimum. Teams can give you a little bit of a raise, you know, like hey, the league minimum is 525, but we'll give you 550. Like, you know, Happy.
0: This elephant would gladly accept yeah. those peanuts Happy by fun. the way.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> so so Perella had, you know, 10 days last year. He's going to get 35 this September and he was up for a month, he was on the DL. So we'll say he's at at 100. 180 plus days in the season depending on how it goes. You need 172 to accrue a full year of service time. So next year Perella spent does the same thing. He's on the yo-yo. He's up for a couple months, down for a couple months, whatever. Let's get to the point where he burns all of his options, Okay, okay? but he's still at two and a hundred and five days of service. Mm-hmm. That means that the Yankees could put him on the roster for a full year at minimum salary. Then he's got three arbitration years. By that point, it's Jose Perella. He's not going to be commanding a huge salary. This guy could be 34 years old by the time he's free of his own will to make a decision on where to sign and how much money he wants. The guy's been in the organization since he was 18. Yeah. But with seven, year, seven, eight years in the minors, and then three or four years on the option shuttle, and then another couple years of pre-arbitration, arbitration, that's a long time. Whereas me, you, I could go into my boss's office today and be like, I feel like I'm worth $20,000 more than I make, and I'm going to go seek out a company that's going to pay me that. My boss has three options. Number one, be like, yeah, whatever. Number two, pay me. Or number three, be like, all right, well, good, get lost. Baseball players don't have that, right? Right. Like I said, basically indentured servitude. So do you blame Matt Harvey?
0: No, and, and that's why we started off like that. Right. I mean but, I, I get what he's doing.
1: It's just that he went about it the wrong way. Yeah, you don't blame him for what he's doing. He just could have done it better. Especially in New York. <laughs> Sorry for that uh, lengthy stats-based uh, – No, I, I wanted to let you go. Yeah, that lengthy the, stats-based – But that's a thing, good right?
0: explanation. I mean, if people didn't know or if people don't have that background about this you know, this situation that's going on, now they do. I think that's great. Now, I brought it up, and since you brought up Perella, I just want to talk about the Yankees really quick before we transfer over to the NFL. Um, it was against the Orioles. It was Monday, Labor Day. Now, I know they came back, and they won the game 8-6. to six. And I'm not saying by any way, shape, or form, uh, that if Perella got a bunt down, that John Ryan Murphy would have scored on Jacoby Ellsbury's... It was like, it was a liner into right field. Mm-hmm. This team relies on the home run way too much. Way, way, what did they get? way too much. S-
1: six or seven of those eight runs yesterday? I, was, I listened to the game.
0: It's how they came back oh. against Tampa on Sunday. Mm-hmm. It's how they came back on the Orioles on Monday. Here's the issue, and here's the problem.
1: Speaking of, anyone still want Greg Bird not to play against lefties?
0: Okay. You know, I looked it up. He has four home runs. Two of, two. Those, two of those home runs have come after 0-2 counts. Yeah. And the one, yesterday, uh, one look, Monday.
1: Look, I am by no means a top scout I am by no means a baseball insider like many of these guys you read on a daily basis. I am by no means anything special in terms of baseball knowledge of the inner workings of the game. There's a reason I've been on the Great Bird Train since day one, and you're seeing it now.
0: Yeah, but I want to get back to the bunting thing mm-hmm. because in the playoffs, if you're going to wait, if you're going to go down three nothing to great pitching and great bullpens, and rely on. Two and three run home runs to get you back in the game when you have first and second and nobody out. Now, look, I'm not saying, I'm not sitting here saying, hey, Alex Rodriguez should bunt those runners over. No, that's not what I'm saying. It, it, you want him to hit it out, but in a situation where you have a Steven Drew up who could also hit home runs,
1: well, let's say a but Jose Perella or Didi Gregorius.
0: If, if it's Didi, if it's Perella, if it's Drew and they're the nine hitter and you're going to flip the lineup over, and you have first and second with nobody out? To me, to my mind, baseball mind, that is a no-brainer. If you're down 3 nothing, you have first and second, nobody out. Jacoby Ellsbury coming up after a guy that could bunt these guys over, and you don't do it? I- I'm sorry. And, you know, everybody, well, why bunt them over when you could just drive him in with a home run? That was something somebody said.
1: Because a of- because a bunt has uh, about a hundred percent better accuracy rate than than hitting a home run. I, 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 I just mean,
0: I don't get the hard headedness sometimes when you know you just throw everything that everyone else knows about baseball out the window. Ah, we'll just get a home run later. We'll be fine. I don't get it, and that got me so upset to the point where I'm watching that game and I'm like. He's got to get that bunt down. This has been a multi-year problem. He tries to bunt on the first pitch. It was a breaking ball. He pulls the bat back. The second pitch was right down the middle. It was a fastball. And then he swings at a pitch up in his eyes to strike out.
1: That's why Jose Perel is going to be 35. Before and he and free then agency. my but, second
0: thought is, where's Ref <laughs> Snyder?
1: It's That's a weird situation. I, I, I don't... Yeah, I, even, even a Gardner or an Ellsbury in that situation who have that speed, you know, God forbid they beat out that bunt. Now you've got the bases loaded with nobody out. Right, exactly. You know, or the situation. This has been a multi-year problem with runners in scoring position and situational hitting, and that's why Kevin Long works for the Mets now. Who, Do you know, who but, by the way, are in first place. I mean, just saying.
0: I was at the game on Saturday for Meredith, and I saw something that the Yankees did that I haven't seen in quite some time. Didi. Knocked in the first run. Mm -hmm. I think it was a double. I think Didi knocked him in with a double. Uh, Brendan Ryan was playing second that day. He was up ninth. Right. Brendan Ryan did his job. Hit a ground ball to the right side. Dee Dee got to third. One out. Brett Gardner comes up. Ground out. Didi scores. Manufacturing a run. You did your job. That's baseball. Mm -hmm. That's baseball. I, I just don't understand. That's yeah. Now, outside now of Earl Yankees, Weaver, now the Yankees lost three two, but that that playing baseball the right way and doing your job and getting that run in got them to a one run game. And you know what? They had the bases loaded with Didi Gregorius
1: hitting a smash, and that's you know sabermetrics that got caught. Sabermetrics goes into that whole foresight, thing as well. Right foresight. You know, sabermetrics was in their whole thing and productive outs and whatever, and it's very true. You know. An out is an out, yes, but there's a productive way to make an out and a non-productive way to make an out. If you've got a runner on third with nobody out and you strike out, not a productive out. You hit a sacrifice fly, very productive out. You hit a ground out to the right side where the guy scores, very productive out. There's, there's differences, and situ- that's situational hitting, and that's been a multi-year problem, like I said. It's not always the bloop and the blast.
0: It just drives me crazy. I, I had to say it. I mean, I, I sit on my couch talking to myself because no one in my house likes sports besides me. So I have these conversations with myself or I text you. Yeah. Uh, I didn't text you this time, but it's, you know. it's
1: another thing, too, that people have been wondering. And I even heard I listen to MLB network radio in the morning on my commutes a lot now. And I even heard the guys talking about it on, you know, the leadoff spot the other day. Drop a bun drop a bunt. There's three, three there's there's a runner on runner on first and three infielders on the right side for Brian McCann. Drop a bunt down the third baseline. Anthony Rizzo did exactly that. And I think I've said this multiple times between this podcast, The Yes Men and various other things. Last April, I think it was, when the Cubs were in town, they played that doubleheader cuz the mm-hmm. first game got rain snowed out. Yes. Anthony Rizzo, the cleanup hitter, the the future Hall of Fame 40 home run hitting cleanup hitter of the Chicago Cubs. Had three infielders on the right side. Dropped a bunt. Just dropped a bunt right down the third base line. Headley had no chance. No. I, or not I just, Headley. Whoever was playing third base had no chance. Uh, Rizzo's on first probably, base.
0: Probably Alex.
1: No, it was last year, so it was whoever oh, it was last year. Yeah, whoever happened to be playing third oh, base that oh, day. Oh, okay. Um,
0: Salard, I was going back to two thousand nine for crying out loud. No,
1: Salarte or Kelly Johnson or whoever, but just uh, Anthony Rizzo. Drop the button down the third base line and could have, could have moonwalked to first base.
0: I, I just – I don't know. Why not? I, I had to throw it out there, and I had to see what you sure. thought about it. Yeah. I just can't – you know, my mind works uh, baseball-wise. My mind doesn't work, well, we can get a three-run homer at any time of the game. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. great. Try that in the playoffs. See how that works out for you. Try that in a one-game playoff in the wild-card game. See how that works out for you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: See how it works. Mm-hmm. Because you know what? If you lose in that wild-card game, and
1: that's where the Yankees are right now, 60% of the time it works every time, but there's that other 40%. Sex Panther. We need to go to the NFL because we're running low on on our time here, obviously.
0: That's all right. I only wanted to spend like 10 minutes on this. So, All right. So uh, an ESPN Outside the Lines report came out earlier today, which is Monday when we're taping this. I hate dating these things, but whatever. It is what it is. It's still a great listen, in my opinion. But um, – Roger Goodell, the headline was, A Makeup for Spygate, Deflategate. Okay, so I clicked it. Little did I know that it was a 50-page book of an article, (laughs) but I got through the whole thing. Here's Bob Lee. And oh my God. I mean, if you're a sports fan and you're an NFL fan, especially of an AFC East team that plays this team twice a year since 2000, you need to read this article. You really do. Because it is going to piss you off so much that your heart rate is going to get up enough where you're not going to have to do cardio at the gym if you do that. I'm telling you right now. Yeah. The Patriots, and I hope you're you're buckled in for this, if you remember Spygate, and you should, they would tape the opposing coach's signals on the other sideline during the game with Low-level employees that, get this, would cover up the Patriot logo on their shirts with tape and then wear a red NFL photographer, like Penny, to cover that up. And it would have an official NFL photographer number on the back of that. So they'd be standing there with their cameras getting all this stuff. Then they would take it to this guy who would study it. He studies it and then he would sit up in the press box every week and he would radio down to Belichick or their coordinators and let them know what the signals were that these teams were doing. That's the first thing. You probably remember all this stuff. Here's something that I saw for the first time. Should I not have done that? The Patriots used to send a low-level employee into the opposition's locker room To steal scripted plays. You know, some teams, they'll script their first 20 plays of the game offensively. They sent someone into the locker room to steal that sheet. And it got so bad that the teams found out and would have to put dummy sheets in the locker room. So they would steal the wrong ones. I mean, this goes above and beyond cheating. Above and beyond And, I mean, there's so much to digest and regurgitate from this article. And there's only certain things that I could really pull back now. But most of this stuff, it's not eye-opening. It's pretty much cartoon-esque eyes popping out of your head because you can't believe this is the stuff that they got away with. But the underlying common denominator of this monstrous article was that Roger Goodell, who was 18 months into his tenure as the commissioner of the NFL, when Spygate broke, did his buddy, Robert Kraft, a solid... Oh, by the way, Robert Kraft is on the three-person compensatory committee that gives Roger Goodell his raise every season. And he went from $39 million, or no, I'm sorry, wait, $32 million, I believe, his first year... To $44 million his second year. After Spygate. After. He sent people there to New England to find this stuff. The videotapes, the documents, the hand signals that were written down on diagrams. Every tape, supposedly, was destroyed, stomped on by these officials. And the papers shredded. The other thing telling from this article, and Lou could speak to this because he's an Eagles fan, but they beat the Eagles by three points. They beat the Patriots by three points. The Panthers, Panthers, I'm sorry. They beat the Panthers by three points. And they beat the Rams by three points in those first three Super Bowls that they won. Which made Adam Vinatieri's career. (laughs) It did. The Eagles and the Panthers fell in line and gave statements saying that they were satisfied with the Spygate investigation and they thought that they lost the game on the field and that had nothing to do with it. The only one that didn't was Mike Martz, head coach of the Rams. Until Roger Goodell came a-calling because... Senator, the late senator from Philadelphia, from Pennsylvania, Arlen Specter, had a bug up his rear end for Goodell.
1: guy was old when I was in college, and he still sat yes. around for
0: another decade. He was on the Warren Commission, for crying out loud. You know, that and before thing,
1: that, he was on the Oregon Trail. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, the commission that you know, yeah. did the investigation on Kennedy. But anyway... But Specter has a bug up his rear end about this whole situation because he knows full well that all of this stuff didn't go, get swept under the rug. There has to be something else out there. So he brought in one of these employees that the Patriots had doing this, taping everything and going about. And this, this guy Walsh says that he stayed and watched the Rams walk through and actually went to the, one of the Patriots' assistant coaches and told them, oh, we saw Marshall Falk returning kicks. He only returned a kick once in his NFL career until the Super Bowl in the second quarter. He lined up, Vinatieri angled the kick, so Falk caught it and stepped out of bounds after a one-yard gain. Now, look, you could, see, you could say that and say, well, the Patriots would have saw Marshall Falk back there. I mean, they're not blind. I get that.
1: But they had, they sat there. It wouldn't and they, have been a surprise when they lined up to see it. They knew that there they was a possibility. They sat there and they watched the walkthrough.
0: That Rams team had just beaten the Titans in the previous Super Bowl. They were nicknamed the greatest show on turf. Vermeil led them to that Super Bowl win. Martz was the coach the next year. He prided himself on plays that were never run before. You never saw him. He was an innovator. That was his thing. There were three plays in the red zone. Three. After the snap, wherever Kurt Warner was going with the ball, three Patriot defenders were there. They snuffed out a screen. They snuffed out a Marshall Falk play. And Marx is on the sideline saying, I, I never ran these before. How, the, how did they know? Well, here you go. Because <laughs> they saw it. So... Goodell, who's under pressure from Spectre and a Senate Judiciary Committee, because Spectre's about to open this up and open up a can of you-know-what on Goodell and the NFL. Goodell gets on the horn, according to this ESPN Outside the Line report. And talks to Martz and say, hey, listen, you have to fall in line with the Panthers and the Eagles and say that you have to write a statement that says this, you know, you're satisfied with the investigation and you don't think that has anything to do with it. And Martz has been on the record and said before that the Rams' three turnovers played a huge role in them losing that game, which is fair. But he said he wrote this statement. It went out the next day. Then Martz was reread that statement at his... Place in Idaho, where he now resides, <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. His cave. And when it was read to him by, this, by the reporters in, the, in this Outside the Lines report, he said, I don't remember writing all that. Someone must have changed it. I know what I wrote. That isn't it. Now, Marts has nothing to do with the NFL. He's no longer a coach. No, he was a commentator for a little while, but that's it. So he's got no ties to this league. None. He's got nothing to do with the NFL. So if he, if he speaks the truth, he, he, it's not like he has a vendetta against the league. Reading this article, it, it, like I said, if you're an NFL fan, look, the NFL is a $15 billion money-making machine. Not million, billion. Every year. And even if every fan of the league reads this article... Guess where they're going to be on Sundays? Right in front of the TV. They're going to be in front of the TVs watching the NFL. It's just the way it is. But Roger Goodell, this is what I took from it. He made his Patriot bed back in 2007 when he gave his buddy Kraft a pass. With, now, look, they did, they did take picks away from him. They did find them. Okay, I'm not saying they got off scot-free. But at the same time, this investigation could have run deeper and hurt the not just the Patriots, but the NFL a lot more. He made that bed back then, and now with Deflate Gate, he didn't like sleeping in it anymore. He wanted to try to fix, maybe his errors of the past, and he just continues to look extremely bad. Whether it was the handling of Ray Rice, whether it was Deflategate, whether it was Greg Hardy, you name it. You name it. This guy has just looked like a
1: fool. And this is the same commissioner. I'm reading it. I was checking my phone while you were talking there and listening so I could get the facts right. But this is the same commissioner that has decided as of this year to have the NFL give up its tax-exempt status. To eliminate a distraction, and I just used air quotes, but in ba- what that basically does is it means the NFL no longer has to make parts of their tax return public, including compensation for Roger Goodell. Um, it no longer has to you know, do other things, and what it's going to lose is like $100 million, <laughs> which they'll, they make – DraftKings will make that this season yes. on Fantasy Football. Yes. The guy makes forty four.
0: million million dollars a year. And the a league year. brings in
1: 10 billion plus in revenue a year.
0: It's it just, it's sickening. I, I don't know how else to, I, you can't get through this article without getting sick to your stomach. You can't, especially if you're a jet bills or a dolphins fan. Seriously. Because you, those three franchises, especially with Spygate, They've been affected the most. And the Steelers. They're, they, if you're a Steeler fan, you, yep. should, you should read up on it too.
1: And then now Kraft comes out and says, you know, I'm disappointed in the league and all this and that with all the deflate gate stuff. And it's, it's the equivalent of that scene in Goodfellas where, you know, the, the business is going under and this and that and stuff might happen. So all of a sudden it just burns down. But then this is now the next part where the same business partner gets flustered that it happens again. That's right. where we are now. Right, right. But I will tell you this. It's like you said. They picked up the shield and swept everything under the rug. And then when people found the lumps in the rug, then he's like, oh, that's not mine. Exactly. Everything wasn't destroyed. That guy Walsh had more
0: tapes. He had more documents. He brought them to Spectre. They had a nice lengthy chat. And that's when we found out from the investigation that these guys did stay around and watch the Rams walk through. Didn't say anything about a tape being present. Mm -hmm like was speculated, but they did sit and and watch the walkthrough. The The best part of this whole thing was Mangini because Mangini knew Belichick's tactics. So he had three different coaches signaling in plays. He had the first guy signaling which other coach would be giving the real one, and then that one would send the play in. Then at halftime, they cornered the kid with his sash, his penny, and his Patriot-covered logo T-shirt. And they confiscated the tape. And that's when they sent it to NFL headquarters. And they said the kid was, get, he was thirsty. They gave the kid water. He was shaking so much the water was coming out of the glass. And sweating. So read into this whatever you want. The Patriots are dirty. The blood is on their hands. All the Patriots are dirty. Whether it's the deflated balls, and you could sit here. And, you know, I've waxed poetic about how Tom Brady could have pro- been, been throwing an onion. Well, probably, but in the Super Bowl he wasn't. Let's, let's be fair. And that's what I always said. You know, if anybody thinks there was anything wrong with those balls in the Super Bowl, you've got to get your heads examined because they were under the most scrutiny they've ever been under. Mm -hmm. Those weeks. However, his legacy, and I hate that. God, I hate legacy. His legacy and Belichick's legacy with me,
1: in my opinion, they take a huge hit. A huge hit. Somebody posted a meme I saw on Facebook, and it was Tom Brady, like, you know, smiling and holding up his hand with all the rings on it. But then somebody had drawn in, like, arrows to each one. It's like, tuck rule. (laughs) Spygate, Deflategate, like, you know, win one clean. And then
0: their owner, and yet a tremendously gigantic middle finger to the NFL and Goodell, is
1: hanging out with the judge who took away the suspension. I wonder if this tax exemption thing makes them any more susceptible to, like, federal antitrust laws or something like that, to where the... Where the government could look in, I know. I know Washington has bigger problems, but short of short of the SMU death penalty, nothing's going to change until Bill Belichick isn't in, you know, isn't in power anymore. I mean, short of Goodell coming out and saying the New England Patriots will forfeit their 2000 X season, they will have no home games. Their pay they will still be responsible for payroll and will make no revenue. The NFL, I don't know.
0: The NFL in my estimation, is just another Washington, D.C. They can make people disappear, situations disappear, and come out on the other end still smelling like a rose and making $15 billion a year, lining their pockets, no matter what happens.
1: Who's their Olivia Pope?
0: Their pockets will be lined. Who's this? Uh, Scandal, the show Scandal. Uh, I don't watch it. Sorry. I, I, it the, it, the thing it that, baffles my mind, Lou. It really does. The
1: thing that made it even worse that you didn't mention that we talked about before, too, is when you know Kraft and Belichick were called before the NFL and the owners and this and that when oh, yeah. and it all happened, yeah. Kraft was basically like Almost singing crying. like a canary. Like, he was look, crying. We messed up. We did this. That, and Belichick basically came out and pulled the Costanza. I, I didn't know I couldn't do
0: that. And yet, see, and, and it, Kraft could say all he wants— about, you know, they didn't know about the flake gate and Spygate. you know, he did well up. And like you said, he sang like a canary and he was very, uh, remorseful about it because he knew the NFL was going to take a hit and the other owners are going to take a hit. Why was Belichick still his coach? That's a big why right there. Why? Why not get rid of the guy who almost took down the league? Why didn't Goodell step in and say, you got to get rid of this
1: guy? You know, in order to make a clean slate and, and move forward, we got, he stayed there. Because it's, it's not about the shield, and it never was for Roger Goodell. It's not about the shield. It's about, it's about just continuing to make himself look good. Uh, it, the article just truly disgusted me.
0: The one thing and, I can I say. I hope it disgusts a lot more people out The one there,
1: thing so. I can say is that I was listening to, um, I think it was Mark Malusis and Carlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh-huh. when or last week, when this whole thing came out and Brace eventually right. overturned, and they basically had a great idea. It's like, you know, if the NFL wants to even make it appear like they care about things like this when it comes to discipline, shouldn't be Goodell. Do what the NHL did with Brendan Shanahan. Bring in, yeah. you know, make Coley Tro-
0: Campbell. Troy,
1: Troy Vincent is a high ranking mm-hmm. NFL official at this point. Make him that guy. Yeah. Or someone like that. He played the game, he understands both mm-hmm. sides of the coin, and that at least makes it appear like they care. And it's a former player handing right. out the suspension. Right, like I said, just like Brandon Shanahan, right. You know, when before he went moved on into the Leafs office. Someone like a Troy Vincent or a Troy Brown. Well, oh Coley
0: Campbell used to drop ma- the ham- hammer too.
1: Maybe I should stop mentioning expatriates, but like, you know, just you know. I mean David Carr. <laughs> for God's yeah. sake. I mean, like, you know, anybody.
0: Somebody. Yeah. Doesn't matter. I, I completely agree with that. Good for Carlin and Melusis. By the way, I ran into our buddy at the stadium. I saw
1: that. Yeah. He was doing the UConn post-game show last Thursday, I yeah. believe, or Saturday or whenever it was, yeah. Yeah, last Thursday, because I was watching. We, we were conversing about Giants-Patriots and Jets-Eagles, and then uh-huh. I turned on the UConn game because they were playing Villanova, so my wife wanted to see how Villanova was doing, and I stayed tuned for the post-game show, and it was Dee Willy. Oh, nice. Good for so, him. Yeah. Anyway.
0: <laughs> good for you and good for us. Yeah, yeah. that's going to do it uh, for this uh, edition of the Chris Shearn Show. The magic hour has been reached. Yeah, for Lou DiPietro that's me. I'm Chris Sheeran. We'll see you next time, everybody. Read the damn article on ESPN.com. Later.